your pitch isn't working, your story isn't working. And it's not that your business isn't working, it's the way you're telling it. I watched your pitch. I was completely and utterly uncompelled. And then towards the end, you said, yeah, and we're like, we've been in this for three years and we've got, you know, we're ramping two to three, it's like, oh my God, you've actually got a real business. The way you described it sounded like two guys who are sitting on a couch, pie in the sky and have, no, have never talked to a customer before. A unicorn in business is a privately owned startup company valued at over $1 billion. We're Ben and Joel. We believe every human deserves access to a world-class education. And our tech startup, Vigo, is trying to make that a reality. Now, we're not from Silicon Valley. In fact, we're from the opposite side of the world, Australia. We have a billion dollar vision and we need to launch into the US in 12 months. In many ways, the odds are stacked against our startup, but we've just been given a miracle. The number one business coach in the world, Matt Mashari, has just agreed to coach us for one year. Matt's not your usual coach, and we're not your usual founders. This is the story of that year, raw and unfiltered. Episode six, finding the right pitch. Chapter one, a pitch is just the story. No one cares about your business as much as you care about it. If they cared as much as you, they'd be doing it. They'd be the one co-founding the business. A pitch is your only chance to get them as close to caring as much as possible to you. And in doing that, then they'll come on your journey, they'll come on your vision, and they will give you their resources, whatever it is, their time, their money, their connections, to help make that a reality. At the beginning, it's really just you and your co-founders having this, what seems to the outside world, like a crazy idea. And every day you're trying to convince people to come on this journey with you to, to care about the world that you want to build. Every part of talking to people in the world is a pitch. It's a pitch to get someone to quit their job and to join your team. It's a pitch to get a client to buy your solution. It's a pitch to get an investor to give you the cash to make your world a reality. So pitching is, is this really massive word but at the end of the day, it's just a story. It's just a tool to communicate with people. Vigo has almost died about eight times, but was brought back to life by a pitch. <laughs> I can't understate how important pitching has been to Vigo's survival and success over the last uh, five years. Multiple times we've been on our last leg and if we didn't get that customer, if we didn't get that investor, we had the agreement that we're probably going to give up and we've brought it back to life. My name is Jock Fairweather. I have a, a history in business and off the back of that, I decided to launch a co-working space which inevitably became an incubator in Brisbane, Australia. And that's where I met the guys. I think I, I could have been one of the first people ever to hear their original pitch and get around them for it, you know, sort of support them. They just have a real energy and vibe around them, always smiling, so they attract really good energy, they attract good things, and I was attracted to that, of course. If we did a podcast just about pitching, we should call it Pitched from the Jaws of Death. It, it honestly kind of feels like that, though. I There have been so many times where we weren't sure exactly what we needed to build or how we were going to build it or who we were going to sell it to or if they wanted to buy it or not. 
and the pitch saved us. I never loved pitching at the beginning, but I could tell from a really early time that when Ben had a microphone, something clicked in his head. I'm not the world's best pitcher, but I do have evangelical blood in my veins. <laughs> I'm not religious anymore, but I grew up watching pastors convert people, you know, four nights a week, taking the stage and telling a story and capturing people's attentions and emotion. I've just seen it done a hundred thousand times on the stage in front of me. And I can't help but bring that with me. I've got a long, long, long way to go, but I certainly have found pitching easier than a lot of our peers. Chapter two, the pitch isn't working. Because of the pandemic, we couldn't raise. And so we had to go internally, turn the company profitable. We did that, we survived the pandemic, but we also got cocky and we started spending again. And we wanted to, we knew that to continue our growth story, we were gonna to need to get in more product people and more sales people. And we're gonna to need to get those people in overseas markets. So we knew that we needed to raise capital, not just to survive, but to continue on our um, high growth story. And so when it came to this, this funding round, I had mustered all of my energy into getting this funding round done. When you do a funding round, you typically take your pitch to the people who are least likely to invest first. And then you, you work out all the kinks in that with them before you then take it to the people that you definitely want to invest. And so for me, that meant the first crowd that we took this round to were all the Australian investors. You know, Australian investors, they're great. They're absolutely lovely people and I'm friends with a lot of them. However, there isn't a deep understanding about education and in particular higher education. Overseas, they've had huge payoffs from you know, investing in um, you know, people like Coursera. So the very first people that I went to to pitch were all of the Australian investors. However, <laughs> what I found was that we got quite deep with all of the Australian investors. Like, you know, we were getting to that third, fourth meeting. They were going really deep on the company, which was really exciting. I started to really believe that, hey, we're gonna get this, we're gonna get this funding round done in Australia and um, not even have to take it overseas. Ben went out to one or two investors and then three or four and then another 10 and then another 15. And eventually he'd gone out to 30 investors and it was all looking really great. Everything that we were hearing was just really positive. So Ben's confidence was just growing more and more the more people we spoke to. Then the no's started to come in. We had done such a good job of telling a big vision and building a relationship with all these Australian investors that they had bypassed their typical qualification that they do on that first session with me. You know, they had the red flag in their head that oh, we don't we don't invest in university startups. And it wasn't until they were taking it to their board meetings for the final sign-off that the rest of their board, that board was calling out the investor and being like, look, hey, I don't care how cool these guys are. Remember, we don't invest in university startups. And then the deal would get shut down last minute. And we had lost so much time, so much energy, and, and the need to get the funding was becoming more and more urgent. But thank God that we got Matt in the room because Matt, Matt told me some hard truths. Can, can I tell you the fears I have? Sure, of course. 
the immediate things that come into my head and I, and I know they're irrational. Not all of the 30 have said no just yet. Only like only five of them have so far. The, the, the other ones are just sitting on it. Um, yeah. But that, that, that is a no. Just then let's be very clear. <laughs> it's a no. Uh, <laughs> well, that's one fair. My fear is if we keep selling, right, we're, we're fine, you know, and we plan to keep selling and our pipeline looks good right now. If we keep selling cash flow wise, we're fine. If our sales guy gets hit by a bus tomorrow or there's a second pandemic that makes things worse in a way we don't understand, you know, and we don't sell, we need to raise money in the next, you know, in the next three months or things are bad for us. And then every time there was a no, you could see it kind of like this internal fracture happening for Ben. And it wasn't so much that he wasn't ready for a no, it's just that he wasn't ready to put that on the team because Ben had this extreme faith in what we were doing and where we were trying to go. And every time he got a no, it was like there was people insulting his family and you could see that taking a toll. When you're in fundraising mode, you've built up so much armor on yourself. You know, you need to go into every pitch believing that this can happen, that this this should happen. You know, if you don't have that ultra confidence, investors will smell it. There is that advice that there is no deodorant for desperation. Joel came to one of the pitches with me. So here at Vigo, we help educators champion more learners. Now, wherever there is learning, there is support. This is a pretty overlooked fact. Educators are notoriously bad at delivering those support services. They're delivering these in a very traditional and analog way, which is disengaging for modern learners. These services are quite expensive for them because there's very high admin load, meaning it's expensive, it's unscalable. You know, we're talking spreadsheets and paper forms, all that kind of nonsense. Because of these things are playing out in these traditional ways, they're not digitized. There's no data about what's actually going on, no accountability, no insights to improve things. We make providing support cost-effective and scalable. We gather valuable learner data that has never been captured about how learners are interacting in these services. Joel came to one of the pitches with me. It was a face-to-face pitch. It was down in Sydney. And we met with a pretty notorious uh, fund. And they go on their typical grilling path. And I was feeling pretty good at the end of it. I thought that was actually a good meeting, but then I turned to Joel and Joel was like white in the face. And he's like, what the fuck just happened? They fucking hated us. Whoa, what? Like our business sucks. And I was like, no, dude, it went really well. This is all signs that they like us. And he's like, what? And you know, what was interesting is that when we took this challenge to Matt, my belief was that the problem was not our pitch and not our story and not our traction. The problem was actually I was just talking to the wrong people who just default did not want to invest in education. And what was surprising was that Matt kind of said the opposite. He said, yeah, maybe that's true that they don't ever invest in education, but with the right pitch, anyone will invest in anything. And so it is your pitch. If your pitch was better, you would convert the dead to invest in your hand, is what basically what Matt said. I watched your pitch. I was completely and utterly uncompelled. Your pitch isn't working. Your story isn't working. And it's not that your business isn't working. It's the way you're telling it. And then towards the end, you said, yeah, and we're like, we've been in this for three years and we've got, you know, we're ramping two to three. It's like, oh my God, you've actually got a real business. The way you described it, 
sounded like two guys who are sitting on a couch pie in the sky and have never talked to a customer before. Every time someone doesn't fund you and asks you a question, you know that you missed information that they wanted. Mm -hmm. So go and redo your whole presentation to include the information that the people ask for or ask mm -hmm. them for feedback saying, hey, you didn't fund me. Can you please tell me why? By the way, yeah. most people will give you five minutes and explain to you. Now, mm -hmm. my guess is they'll tell you some version of what I'm telling you right now. I'd like you to start pitching your friends, your family, because they're safe, they're throwaway. Mm -hmm. Once one of them is compelled, break up your remaining investors into A, B, and C. A being the ones you really want, B being mm -hmm. eh, and C being the ones you completely could care less about. Then start pitching to the Cs until you get one of them to say yes. Then you mm -hmm. know that your, your story is working. If it works for that C, it'll work for the B, it'll work for the A. It was a really strange mix of emotions. It was a huge punch in the guts because I thought I was good at pitching. But at the same time, it was, I was just so glad that he identified something of a reason why we weren't getting the funding round done. The worst outcome would have been that Matt said, yep, your pitch is great, your process is great, everything's good, no, no idea why you're not raising capital. That would have been the worst outcome because I, I, more so than my ego or my feelings, I just wanted to get this fucking round done. Matt doesn't just talk the talk in this space. Matt's walked the walk. There are so many reasons as why Matt makes sense to take your pitch to. At the outset, probably the first one is that for a long time, Matt held the record for the biggest funding round ever done in Silicon Valley. But since then, he's had so many extremely interesting experiences to do with pitching. Not only has he pitched a company successfully, he created documentaries that were so fundamentally good at storytelling that he is an Academy Award nominated director. So he really understands how to get that point across and how to sell that story. And then after all of that, he now coaches the best companies in the world. He, he coaches the Reddits and the Coinbases and the Grammarly's. He's seen the pitches that have smashed his own records. Matt understands pitching from every angle. Chapter three, fixing the pitch. My pitch had become very clinical. I was coming at it at this thing that these people, they don't get education. So just throw metrics at them that say, look, um, forget that we're education. And what I had lost in that, which Matt pointed out, is the humanity and the human connection and the heart that is behind Vigo. And it made me realize I needed to bring back the Tony story, the story of our friend who at university, he dropped out and he missed, he fell way short of his potential. And for reasons that it just didn't need to happen. We needed to bring that back. We needed to remind ourselves why we were doing this. And in turn, we had to bring investors along the same journey that we were on and we had to bring the people to them as well. The problem Vigo solves isn't a problem that investors know firsthand. Investors are typically smart people who are very, very resourceful, which typically means that they went to top-notch universities, they aced all of their exams, they never needed a su support in any way. Vigo serves the 99% of people who need help to get that university degree. And so we needed to bring the human story back into our pitch just to get investors to get in somebody else's shoes outside their own. 
and connect with the problem that we solve, which was scary because time was running out, but I just had to clear my schedule, sit there with a pen and paper and rewrite things. And then once I rewrote them, I then used all of Vigo's staff and just lined them up and I just got brutal feedback on it. And they would have heard that pitch a hundred times. And I would have practiced it in the mirror, looking myself in the eye about a hundred times before I was ready to take that back out to the market and try again. Hi everyone, my name is Ben Hallett and I am the CEO and co-founder of Vigo. And my company and I, we are on a mission to champion all learners. We started Vigo because our friend Tony fell through the support cracks. We all had the highest expectations for where Tony was going to go with his degree. When it came to that first semester, though, life hit Tony like a ton of bricks. At that time, Tony probably needed access to our university's tutors, their mentors, their advisors, and their counselors. And the reality was our university was spending millions of dollars on providing all of these services, but they were so old school you know, basically impossible to find, impossible to access, and not digitally enabled. The result was that Tony didn't get the support he needed when he needed it. Eventually, he dropped out completely. Education has to be reinvented online. I'm talking about experiences with your peers, your tutors, your mentors, your advisors, and other support services. And this is the space that Vigo plays in. Thank you so much for listening. If you are interested in joining the journey, I invite you to join the mission. Thank you. Okay. All right. Well, you know, you have a huge, I told you so, Matt. Uh, I lived it out. I put it in action and damn it, it worked. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> it, the pipeline's had a huge boost and I'm, I'm feeling really confident about closing it four to eight weeks. Awesome. I love to hear it. Great. And then what about the, uh, the sales pipeline? Oh, and yeah, sales pipeline's just going really well. So we, just a few universities have just jumped into it and said, hey, you know, we want to spend heaps of money with you. Is that okay? And we said, yes, that is. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Congratulations. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Excellent. Matt didn't just change our pitch in the way we talk to other people. Matt changed our internal energy our chakras, if you will. <laughs> he, he realigned our chakras and it just made, made coming to work a way more exciting experience. And it made us want to learn more and read and reach out to people and just go meet people, not to sell them, but just to see how they can add to our vision. And that makes you a much more exciting and fun person to meet, to buy from, to invest in. Chapter four. The relationship method. Matt talks really, really highly of the relationship method. So a pitch on its own can only go so far. And Matt talks so highly of how you need to build a relationship off the back of that. And that's something that we, we've just always done. We didn't realize it was what we were doing, but we always wanted to build relationships with people. And just to be clear, it's not about building a relationship for the sake of building a relationship. It's caring deeply about the people that you want to come on your journey with you. So whether it's investors or clients, we were kind of accidentally doing this because we cared about these people. People invest in, they buy from, and by the way, this is investors, employees, customers. They buy from people they trust and like. And 
it makes sense because I always want to make sure I'm not getting cheated. And I never know if I'm getting cheated until I feel a sense of trust and like with someone. So if you can create that sense of trust and like, you 10x the likelihood that someone is going to choose to buy from you. Again, investor invests in you, customer buys your product, employee comes and joins your company. Each of those is an investment in you. So how do you create trust and like, and how do you create it quickly? And that's what the relationship method is. What I get worried about is in this relationship method, am I actually now extending what, what I might have like a chance of closing things without the relationship method, maybe a chance in like the next eight weeks. But if I do this relationship method, am I looking at like, do I need to add another six months to this? God, no. In fact, you shorten the time. I think what Matt really discovered for us is that not only did our pitch have way more room to improve, you know, we could be infecting people at a whole different level, but also we needed to qualify them earlier on. We built such strong relationships that we started to bypass the normal rules. And whereas people, uh, when they would never invest in us generally, because they started, we started to build such strong relationships with them, we started to skip those stages. And although that can be really positive sometimes, it also has a, a net negative effect because you just get nose later in the process. We ended up spending so much time in these processes that didn't make sense. We started to realize that fundraising was a bit of an equation. It's really about the pitch, the relationships, your metrics and luck. And what we started to realize is that we just had the amounts wrong there. Our pitch was okay. Our metrics were good our relationships were okay. And the amount of people we were talking to was, was too much, to be honest. So what we did was we reduced the amount of people that we were talking to and trying to build relationships with. We qualified them way better. With Matt's help, we radically increased the relationships that we were building with those people. And we got lucky. <laughs> <laughs> Chapter five, if you build it, they will invest. For a long time, Ben and I didn't have a lot of confidence in exactly what we were doing. And that meant a lot of what we built was for the next contract or the next client or the next sale. We would just do whatever we had to do to move forward. And when we started speaking to Matt and explaining this to him, he really pointed out how flawed that logic is, which is that when you build something great and you build the product that you want to build, the clients will come to you and you will find the right sales. After Matt helped me discover that I needed to be leading the product, it was easy to see all of these different threads that needed to come together. So after working with Matt for a while, we started to see that we were building what we were selling. We weren't selling what we were building. And if we could just change the way we thought about that and started to think a little bit more about where we wanted to go, the impact we could make on the world would be so much bigger. The amount of people we could sell would be so much easier. The context here is that a lot of the way we've stayed alive is off sales revenue. And we've been able to achieve some amazing things because of that. We believe if we want to raise an amazing Series A, we need to prove out that we can have 20% month-on-month growth of our monthly active end users, which we aren't sure can come from our sales-led approach. Okay. Yeah. There are a few things you said that bothered me. So yeah. let's, let's unpack those first. You said in order to get a Series A, Venture Series A, so that now becomes your North Star. That bothers me. That has nothing to do with growing a great business. So I'd like to X that out as a goal. If you build a great business 
investors will come. If you satisfy investors, you may build a shitty business because investors have different incentives. And frankly, you could satisfy their egos and build a terrible business. We've all seen that in the past. My fear yes. is that we will run out of money mm -hmm. and therefore be required to raise venture funds. Yes. But here's the reality. Good investors want to see that you're building towards a phenomenal business. Now, there may be crappy investors out there that all they look at is growth. But frankly, that's, I don't think there are that many investors that are that dumb. We really had this scarcity mindset around funding and revenue. So that was just so disruptive for us. We, instead of building the thing that the big vision that we wanted, we kept going down all these different side lanes. Matt does not have a scarcity mindset. He is just through and through resourceful mindset, you know, above the line, the money will come, the investment will come when I go to be the most ambitious thing that I want to be. And yeah, that that really changes your mind. I mean, that that really changes not just how you feel about the company, but it changes how other people feel about the company. You know, when you're being super ambitious, when you're being super resourceful, when you don't need investors' money, that's when they want to give you money. <laughs> so even though we we started to get really convicted about our vision and our story and where we wanted to go, there was a lot of change that needed to happen. And that change was really uncomfortable. So making changes to the pitch, scratching everything we planned on our product roadmap, and essentially starting that whole team again, left us in a really hard spot to build up from almost nothing again. It was definitely a leap of faith to take on Matt's advice. But if you're ever going to take a leap of faith, you may as well do it with the number one CEO coach in the world. Things are getting exciting, but they're also getting tough. Really tough. Next, we're looking more closely at the terrifying world of trying to secure the right investors to help drive the company forward. And that doesn't just mean giving up control of a stake in the company. It means putting the whole company on the line. Uh, so it's um, Thursday morning, having a bit of a um, panic attack. <laughs> like what, what's triggered this? We had two investor calls just in the uh, late evening yesterday. And that's the second call with that investor. That, that you know, previously they were looking at fairly confident to close out 500 to 700 grand themselves, but they went off the grid for like a week last week. Now it's looking like much more like they could probably only do 200K. So like a third of what we thought they were gonna come be confident for. It puts a lot of pressure on the other investor to come off and that guy just, he could get spooked any moment now we go like we'll, we'll know from him in the next seven days or not shit I'm gonna <laughs> we might run out of money here <laughs> if you're enjoying this podcast subscribe in your app of choice so you don't miss out there's a new episode every two weeks the unicorn launcher is a lower street production